Hi, I'm Casey. And I'm Diana, and this is the Fostering a New Approach podcast. And each week we'll be getting together to discuss being care experience. But we are normal young women, so sometimes the conversation will not always be about being in care. In the last podcast, we looked at isolation for care leavers during the coronavirus lockdown. If you haven't heard of it, check it out. This week, we're talking about what makes a good worker. So what have you been up to, Casey? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I've been up to a lot. been quite a busy bee, um, surprisingly. I've been, yeah, doing quite a few projects, trying to help get care leavers' voices out there um, and just really campaigning for change as usual. Um, not really much else updates on there, is there? It's not like I'm getting out and doing fun things all the time. <laughs> so yeah. how about you, Diana? Have you been up That's- too much? No, that sounds really good, yeah. Um, I'm still doing Childline, still volunteering there at the moment. Um, I feel like a lot of young people are struggling at this time, and it's quite important that they are getting the support. Um, also working on a project um, which involves setting up quizzes and wellbeing chats for young people. So not just care experience young people, just young people in general. Oh, that's fantastic. Well done, you. Thanks, and you too. <laughs> So if you could define what a worker is, what, what would you say? Um, see, the way that I try to put all workers under an umbrella term is I, I like to say support staff because they're all staff, obviously, and they are there to support the young people um, before care, after care, during care, um, and sort of do as much as they can to support you, basically, which is why I say support staff the majority of the time. I mean, is there anything that you'd sort of say that specifically defines a worker for you? Um, Yeah, no, I think I'd agree with what you're saying, to be honest. So it is just people that support care experienced people. Um, And I know, obviously, in different local authorities, um, the support might vary and the the key workers that might work with you might vary too. So it'd be interesting to chat about that. Right, so um, with the local authority that I was in, that I'm with, I mean, um, I've had sort of mental health workers, I've had a PA, which is a personal advisor, um, I've had an IRO, um, which is an independent reviewing officer. Um, so those were the main people that were looking after me. Um, I've also had mental health practitioners as well. So yeah, what about you, Casey? Yeah, so I, I think that's quite interesting because um, what, what local authority are you with? I'm with Thurrock. I've never heard of that place in my life. Yeah, so I'm I'm with the Leicestershire County Council. Um, and with myself, I have never seen any kind of mental health worker come from my local authority. I didn't know that was a thing that they did. I wish I had one myself. Um, so I, I sort of had um, the independent reviewing officer. Um, and funnily enough, just highlighting this point of the independent reviewing officer, many many young people have no clue what they are there for and they don't they don't understand their job role i've seen a lot of young people say well why do they exist why are they there they're useless no one knows what they're for and i was quite shocked to see this because um what an independent reviewing officer did for me was um when it came up to every meeting that i'd have we all had them super regularly with these looked after child meetings uh, just to review our situation uh, she was the one that would meet with me um, at least a week before every single one of these meetings. She'd meet with me at least once, sometimes more than once. 
Um, and then she'd listen to everything that I had to say. She'd then fight for my uh, fight for my rights and my views, and she was that voice for me in a meeting full of other professionals and adults that don't really listen to the young person. Um, so that's just to clarify what an IRO is, because I felt like they did play a really important role for me as I was growing up. Um, and also another worker is um, an independent visitor. This is not someone that many people know about, um, but independent visitors, um, quite often, I know someone who had one, um, and he was brought up by uh, just a woman, just a female carer by herself. And as a boy, he wanted to have some sort of male father kind of figure in his life. So they actually arranged for him to have a, a male independent visitor who is someone that volunteers and they basically, they take you out and they do activities with you um, and all of these are fully funded by the local authority. And so you have that relationship with some kind of parental figure in your life. Um, and to this day, actually, I know that that person is still really close and does speak to that independent visitor, even though he's now uh, 22 years old, which is, which is really nice. Yeah, I think that's really nice. So how many um, workers did you actually have then, Diana, yourself? So I've had a PA, which is a personal advisor, an IRO, which is an independent reviewing officer, and just a mental health practitioner. I didn't have that many, but I think that may have been because I went into care quite late. So I'm not sure whether the age thing means that I've had less because I hadn't been in the system as long as a lot of people have been. Yeah, so I think... There is. Did you have a um, looked after children's nurse as well? No, I did not. Did you not? Well, actually, no. There was one time where I had to go in. I don't know if she was a looked after children's nurse, but now she probably was when I think about it. But um, there was time I had to had had to have a health checkup, and I don't know whether she's a children's care nurse or whether they're just telling me to go and check up. (laughs) Yeah, that. That is um that is a uh, lack nurse. Um, I only knew the name because my social worker would call her that. So that's that's actually another worker that we have that I always forget about. So we we're, we're supposed to go for an annual health check and we're supposed to get a health check when we first go into care, but they're not very good at keeping on top of that. I think I only ever had one health check in the three years that I was um living with my carers. Um. Yeah, so I'm just trying to think how many workers I've had. So, obviously, we we have um, social workers. Um, before I went into care, I had a family liaison officer, if that counts. Um, then, of course, the IRO, independent reviewing officer. Um, we had the the lack nurse. Um, oh gosh, there's too many. Um, the personal advisor, PA. Uh, that's that's at least five. Um, and then that's not counting the other people that I had involved, sort of that were looking after me in school and looking after me on uh, the mental health side of things that weren't involved with social services so in in your lifetime of being care experience there's there's a there's a lot of different workers that you have involved so my pa supports me until i'm 25 um and obviously after 25 i don't have that support anymore i am a little bit worried about not having someone to turn to i think that's my main concern with regards to losing that support. Um, although I am quite independent, um, but I think at the same time, you need to sort of lean on someone at times. You can't always do everything yourself. So that does worry me, actually, when I think about it. Um, how do you feel about that, Casey? 
Oh, I definitely agree. I mean, I, I'm petrified for the day that I turn 25. And I know that I'm, I'm 21 in a couple of months. So that means I've got over four years until that day. But time flies the older that you get. And I know that the day that I turn 25, I'm not going to be ready for it. And I'm quite independent like you are. Day to day, I generally manage myself. But it doesn't matter how independent a person is because I find that if you're really independent, but you, you have your biological family, your parents at the age of 25 don't just go, right, no more support from us. You can't speak to us anymore. That is it. You are gone. But that's what social services do because I understand that there are issues there with how long they can look after you with, with the number of workers, etc. But it doesn't mean that you can just drop somebody and assume that they no longer need any help anymore. Um, so yeah, I do agree with what you're saying as well. Um, I think it's quite hard for care experienced people because um, they don't have that same unconditional care that a lot of young people have. Um, so I think that that's quite challenging as well. Um, so you might feel like quite different to other people. So I've had quite a few workers and I find it really helpful when they listen to you, but actively. So they don't just listen and then, you know, go off and do what they're doing. It's when they actually listen, they ask questions to try and understand what you're actually saying. And then, you know, it's more effective and you feel like you're being listened to rather than just, yeah. But Yeah, I think it's it's the aspect of actually being heard. So you know that say if you've, you've just gone and confided in something that you're really struggling with but you you didn't really know how to get any help or you didn't really know how to ask for it and if you've just managed to have the confidence to then actually say that I think it's it's got it's always quite devastating when you then have a worker and you can tell they're not listening they're just like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. mm-hmm. and they're just staring off into the distance and it's well fantastic so nothing's going to happen here but if they're actually hearing you then I think that's when you know that that's going to get resolved and you're going to get support there and that you do have that support there, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also the PA that I have at the moment, personal advisor, um, I feel like she's quite a patient person with me because I think I find it quite hard to trust adults at times. And she really sort of listened to me and she respected the fact that it can take quite a while for me to talk um, to speak up and to talk about what's actually wrong. Because a lot of the time I can literally just pretend that I'm perfectly fine. But And she did really wait for me and I've really appreciated that. Yeah, I think that's quite important because I think at times I've found some support staff getting frustrated with me because a lot of my insecurities means that people need to have patience with me because it will take me about a week just to ask a question and it will it will take me even longer to then specify what support I need just simply because I feel bad for asking and if they're not patient with that then they just get frustrated and then that makes you not want to ask for help even more because you know that when you're trying to get those words out that they're actually just going oh come on just say it just spit it out sort of attitude and as much as they won't verbally be saying that you know that that is exactly what they're thinking um, at the end of the day, we're, we're not sort of, oh, I can't think of a word, so like we, we can like see what their facial expressions are and we, we can reach human emotion. So it's, it's important that they are actually there um, in all ways possible to, to actually be supportive.
Yeah. And I also feel that um, having that sort of social, I don't know, perceptiveness, because as well as listening to verbal cues, I feel like workers should be sensitive to body language. So while some young people might have the ability to, to clearly state their needs, I feel like other people might find it more challenging um, to express themselves verbally. So being able to read the lines is pretty important as well. Yeah, 100%. And that sort of brings me on to something that I absolutely love and I always repeat whenever I'm going out and I'm sort of doing workshops or talks or anything like that, is it human first and professional second? Because at the end of the day, I think a lot of workers are so desensitised to looking after care experienced people that they forget what it is that they're actually doing and the impact that they're having. So if when you're behaving professional first and then human second, it's like you feel like you're working with a robot and that they don't really care. But say if they take the human first stance, then it shows that they are they are a person and they are there to support you. So, for example, something that I absolutely love my personal advisor for doing is um, I got out of an abusive relationship and um, I lost everything. I had nowhere to stay. I was able to stay around my foster carers for one night, but I couldn't stay around any longer because they were fostering a new kid. Um, and after that day, it was, okay, Casey, wherever you end up tonight, you just have to end up there. Um, and my PA spent the whole day with me. She cancelled all of her meetings apart from one. The only reason she didn't cancel that one is because I was able to go into town and see my sister for a little bit. So I had somewhere to go. Um, and it, honest to God, it, I hadn't known that PA for massively long. And now I, I can trust her so much. And I have a really good relationship with her because she did that human first. That wasn't advised by any of her managers or anything like that. She just did it. And that is so unbelievably important that support staff are there to do that, I think. Yeah, no, I think but that's really good. And obviously with what you've been through, I think that you really deserve that as well. Like, I just think you're amazing. Yeah. I'm not, I'm being honest. But, um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> get a mission. <laughs> um, and also, I think it's quite important that um, workers, they're consistent. I feel like they should be consistent because without the consistency, um, I think a lot of care experienced people might struggle to trust them because obviously um, that's what I experienced, um, not being able to, to trust people. Um, and, you know, when someone's supporting you so much, you, you want them to carry on doing that. But then when there's some sort of inconsistency, it kind of shakes your trust a bit and you're thinking, well, what, what is their intention? I think so yeah. it's really important that they're reliable and consistent. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. There's, um, funny enough, I found myself speaking about the social worker quite a lot recently, but um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned him to you, but we called him Santa, me and my foster family, um, mm. because he looked like Santa, and he wouldn't appear until November sort of time. And as soon as it got after December, he disappears. Like, he wasn't in existence anymore. No matter how hard you tried to get in contact with him, you just couldn't. And... Obviously, I was trying to get all of this changed and trying to get a better social worker, but I was stuck with him for for this sort of year period, and I, I couldn't put any trust in him. I didn't, I couldn't sort of put that faith in him that he would sort any problems for me because he was never around. He was never there, and I think he was just so unbelievably inconsistent that it just it made things really difficult for any issue I had in that time where we actually had to go to my foster care as social worker instead, which was 
obviously not what their social worker is supposed to do, but they had to fill in that role. Yeah. I think there's um, there's also one thing that I'm really big on in the care system, and um, there's there's actually sort of this thing that I'm working on at the minute. Uh, it's actually from them. If anyone's aware of the Care Experience Conference from uh, 2019, we had these top uh, 10 messages. And one of these was actually about love. Um, and I think it's really important that there is love in the care system because as people that are in care, we don't have love from our families. And getting love from our foster families, it can happen, but it can be really difficult for that. And I think it's helpful if we can sort of have that love and affection from all sort of people that are around us and supporting us because I think that can it can have a much bigger effect than anybody could really realize until you go through that yeah no I totally agree with what you're saying and also um, one thing that just comes to mind is that I think a lot of um or not a lot of but just from personal experience um I found it quite difficult to know what love was um just the inconsistency I had when I was younger you know not knowing almost thinking almost thinking that everything was bad I just didn't know what love was um so I think it's really important that um workers understand that so if you know they're being really kind to you um not all care experienced people will, will know what your intention is they might not know that you're being kind for a good reason they don't know whether you're going to flip they, they, they just don't know so that's where obviously being consistent consistent again comes back in and I think you're really you're definitely right about um showing love in the system um especially when there are so many people that probably don't know what love is so they need to learn what it is almost yeah I mean I couldn't agree more with that because I was also put into care at quite a late date and that meant that I went I was actually emotionally neglected as well as sort of other things and that emotional neglect it's you don't get that love, you don't get that affection, and it really impacts the way that your brain develops. And it's like you said as well, you never actually know someone's intentions when they are then showing you love. And it's it's quite hard because I find myself that when people start showing that love and care towards me, that I almost, I put my barriers down and I'm thinking, whoa, what's going on here? Why, why are you being like this? This isn't quite right. They're trying to get something. and. But it was actually getting that love from my foster family that I think has helped me to get a bit better with that. I'm not fully mended, but I'm definitely better than I was before I went into care. But if I had that from social workers and I had that consistency from social workers, I can imagine that I would be very much more different today. And so would many, many other care experienced people. Mm. Oh, I agree. I think another thing adding on to consistency, I think that's that's such a main theme in this one isn't it we just keep talking about consistency guys be consistent <laughs> um i think it's trying to have the same social worker for as long as humanely possible because i mean it would be it's, it's like it it's so sad to say this but to have the same social worker from the day you go into care till the day that you leave care it feels like an absolute fantasy but i would have loved to have had that because there was one month where we stopped counting at 13 social workers I think um because we just we went through so many it was just such a ridiculous amount and we couldn't keep track we didn't know the names of all of them we'd get a phone call one day and it'd be oh hi I'm Casey's new social worker and be like wait what there's another one um 
I've always just had such a bad experience with constantly having new social workers because it wasn't just that month. I think the longest I ever had a social worker was probably for about a year or two. And that's really not ideal. And it, it makes it hard for you to build up that trust and connection. So I think it would be absolutely amazing to see a day where nobody ever has to change social worker unless it is the young person requesting it themselves. Yeah, no, I think that that's really important because I think I've had quite a few social workers as well. I, I don't know how many now that I think about it. You just made me think about it. Like, I don't actually know how many social workers I've had. But I think, you know, being able to develop trust is really important because in life you need to be able to trust people because it will affect your relationships. And that's the experiences that I've had. Um, and I think if the workers that are supposed to be supporting you are trying to help you, you know, develop trust, they're helping you to be the best you can be, then I feel like they should take that into consideration as well. That how, what they're doing, how it affects you in the future, because although they're supporting you now, um, and it sort of ends when you're 25, but I feel like it's something, it's more like they need to do like a long-term support, not just a short-term support. No, I mean, they can support you in the short term, but it's important that that support has a long-term effect not just a short-term effect but yeah that's, that's just yeah I mean I agree 100 percent and also as well I think it, it would be absolutely amazing if there could also be one day where we do get support past the age of 25 as well mm-hmm. because it's that adds to the long term because there's never a day that someone stops needing support because imagine if you become homeless on your 26th birthday then you're no longer 25 what can social services do that's it you get no support but someone that has parents and they're homeless at 40 50 60 they can still move back in with their parents they always have that roof there readily available for them so it's Mm. it's a really sort of difficult thing that we have to deal with yeah and i think it would be nice if we had someone that although we're 25 and although as you get older the support goes down i feel like there should be someone that you can still talk to just like a designated person, you know, I think that would be really convenient because just because you're getting older doesn't mean the struggles are getting less. Just because you're getting more independent doesn't mean you need the help. I mean, you don't need the help. So I just feel like there should be something there for us. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I 100% agree. I mean, even if there was something that the local authorities had, such as a, a helpline, that was open to 25 plus care leavers. Um, So if you had an issue, you don't even necessarily have to have an assigned worker. You can just call up and you can go, hi, I'm a care leaver, blah, blah, here's my details. I'm dealing with this right now. Can I get someone to come and help me out? It would, I can imagine that would make the world of difference. Even just knowing that you still had something there would be a massive comfort. And it may not be as ideal as getting your own social worker, but it's something that's very, very durable, I believe. Yeah. So overall, we want as a worker that we can trust, that has that social perceptiveness, um, that's patient um, and thinks human before work as well. Um, I think it's really important that those issues are raised um, so it can improve the system for other young people. Yeah, and not to forget as well the ever-important consistency that we kept speaking about and... I think love also, I think love is a is a huge one, definitely. I think that's what we'd love to see in the future with our social care staff would be amazing. 
All right, so I think it's a good time to wrap up. Um, I think we've covered all the points that we needed to cover and we've raised all of those. Um, so if there's any questions that you guys have, you can message us on Twitter at Leicestershire Cares and you can send your questions to hashtag CEYP podcast. See ya. Bye. Bye.